This is the Fertility Hour, where couples learn how to improve their fertility naturally. Join Charlene Lincoln as she interviews leading experts in the fields of natural fertility, holistic medicine, and preconception care. Fertility Hour is where you'll find evidence-based strategies, tips, and resources to help you when trying to conceive. And now, here's Charlene Lincoln. Hi, welcome back to another episode of the Fertility Hour. I'm your host, Charlene Lincoln, and um, thanks so much for all your support and feedback. Um, It really means a lot to us, and I read all your comments, so keep them coming. Um, One last thing, you know, if you found us through Natural Fertility's prescription, that's great. You can go to thefertilityhour.com, and there's a free report on the top. It's how to restore your fertility and get pregnant naturally. It was written by my podcast partner, Dr. Eva Keen, has uh, amazing tips and um, information about obviously restoring your fertility. I highly encourage you to um, download that report and um, like, subscribe, and comment. Thank you so much. Today we have a very special guest. Her name is Tiffany Jo Baker. And I'll tell you a little bit about her. Um, She hasn't experienced infertility herself, but infertility has definitely impacted her life in a major way. Experiencing five rounds of IVF, two drop cycles, a DNC, um, hysteroscopies, and countless injections as a surrogate. She's carried two sets of twins and one single precious baby for three families dealing with infertility. And she's been part of the trying to conceive support community since 2010. Throughout the journey in helping others birth their dreams, as well as going for her own dreams, she has learned the importance of faith, support, peace, and a plan. Today, she coaches women and couples through the emotional, spiritual, and practical parts of navigating the path to parenthood, all while helping them thrive through infertility. Welcome, Tiffany. Thanks, Charlene. I'm so excited to be here. Me too. Thank you so much. Um, You know, I'm really fascinated by, I just, I don't know anyone who is a surrogate, and so I'm really fascinated by that world. And so I'm assuming that our audience will. So I know we are going to talk about um, kind of our main topics going to be about the top five questions to ask and answer with your spouse when trying to conceive. And um, I'm really looking forward to that because I think obviously that's an important conversation. And um, sometimes it's a difficult conversation to ask. So I'm, I'm really interested in the type of questions that you know, you, you recommend that we kind of plan to talk about with our spouse, but talk to me a little bit about, you know, being a surrogate and how did that come to be? Yeah, I never in a million years would have thought that I would, would be a surrogate and, and be pregnant a bunch and, and go through that route. But it actually happened early on um, in my marriage when we were actually got pregnant with our second daughter. And I remember going to work and telling a, a good friend of mine that we were pregnant. And right then, uh, I saw the look of pain and joy flash across our face all at the same time. Mm-hmm. And right then it hit me, number one, that she was dealing with infertility because she had never said anything to me about it. And number two, that God gave me a gift. 
And right then, just something in my heart um, was just birthed. Um, and I thought to myself, I would do that. I would carry somebody else's children. Oh my gosh. So, I mean, did you say it right then or you had to go home and talk to your hubby? Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, oh, it was, it was quite the process. It actually took about four years until my family was at the position because mm. it's a big, it's a major life decision to, you know, be a surrogate, to carry somebody else's children. So it took about four years. Um, we, we stopped at two for our family. Mm -hmm. um, so after I had um, our, our youngest, uh, it took about four years to really get to the place where we knew that that was the right time. We had researched it, uh, talked to our girls about it, talked to the family, and was just at the place to um, actually submit an application to a surrogate agency. I see. And I, when I was reading your story, was the first time for your best friend or... Um... No, it Correct wasn't. Me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I'm yeah, no, it wasn't. And I've heard those stories and they're so amazing. Mm -hmm. um, but I actually went through a surrogate agency all three times that I was a surrogate. So it was for um, couples each time that I did not know prior that we were actually joined through the journey through the process and became lifelong friends through it. Oh my gosh. So you're, you know, you're carrying someone else's child and I mean, what's the emotional process of that? Because I mean, you're bonding with that baby. I, I don't know. I, how does that even feel for you? Yeah, mm -hmm. I think I think the number one question that um, that I get asked is are along those lines. You know, what was it like to carry somebody else's baby? What was it like to give up the baby? Mm -hmm. You know, when you deliver. Um, and I think the easiest way for me to explain it is I'm a very um, logical person mm -hmm. versus someone who's very emotional. So I first filter my world through being logical, and so logically, I knew what my role is. And I knew what my role was, and that was to help other parents grow their family like my family had been blessed to have children. So that was my role. I knew it going in. I saw myself more like an aunt or a godmom, um, mm -hmm. somebody who's a piece of the puzzle and, you know, uh, a, a super nanny for nine months, I guess, you know, carrying mm -hmm. the baby through that process. But I was definitely, as far as bonding, um, I was definitely connected and invested, but it, it's not like carrying your own baby. It, it's not like that. Um, you know, my goal through the process was helping the parents feel connected and the parents to be a part of the process um, along the way. I just imagine they were kind of wanting to know everything and call. I mean, there's, there's that constant communication and, and it, it must feel it must feel a little bit, um, lack of a better word, a little crazy being the parents outside of it because mm -hmm. there's only so much you can control in that situation, right? And they're really relying on you for any communication about the baby. Yeah. And I mean, do they they go to the doctor's appointments with you? And they do. And every surrogate and intended parent relationship is so different. You okay, know, I was blessed to have all three of my journeys all the parents. So I live in North Texas. So I had parents who were as far away as six and a half hours and mm. even a, a set that was out of state, but all three of the families were at every single doctor's appointment. Wow. If not both parents, at least one of the parents. Okay. Mm -hmm. which That's was, a lot. Uh -huh. Yes. Which is very, which is 
can be very unique. Mm-hmm. Um, some surrogates don't even meet, especially if it's an international surrogate attendant mm-hmm. parent relationship. Some parents and surrogates don't even meet until the birth. So it's different in each circumstance. And that's part of the process is figuring out what kind of relationship do you want? Some people want a business relationship. Some people want a hands-on friendship, family-like relationship. So Mm -hmm. that's definitely part of the process. And each of my families were different, but blessed to be really invested in a part of it along the way. Do you enjoy being pregnant? I love it. Yeah, I love it. I I feel good. I didn't, um, I didn't really have morning sickness other Mm -hmm. than an occasional kind of, I call it a blah feeling, you know, Mm -hmm. where you just "Eh, don't really feel like eating. I really should, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, so more of a blah feeling, but other than that, just feel really good. Um, love being pregnant. Um, great deliveries. And I think most of all, just a wonderful support system in my own world and my own life through my husband, friends and family to allow me to, to do this for other people. Were the families asking you, you know, like what kind of diet do you intend to eat during the pregnancy? What kind of sub like that type of question? So a lot of that can be handled in the initial, um, legal contract type procedures, Mm -hmm. really uh, those lifestyle questions. Those are the things that you want to ask and put into the uh, application process. So Mm -hmm. those are the type of questions that are in your initial application, in your kind of bio and profile that the parents can use when selecting a surrogate. And then those are definitely conversations that you have. And um, general lifestyle questions are also kept in the contract as far as alcohol and um, travel and things like that that can play a role throughout the process and things that really matter to them, they'll put in the contract. Wow. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Now there's so many, I know I'm I'm just imagining myself in that. I would feel like my you know, like you wanted to kind of micromanage the situation. Are you like, Oh, are you going to eat that? You know, kind of becoming, <laughs> Oh my gosh, I, I might be a nightmare. <laughs> and I think, you know, I've heard people trying to, you know, uh, find surrogates. And I think that's part of the process is finding mm-hmm. somebody that, that, maybe you have a similar lifestyle with that you have similar core values and you kind of believe the same things and live the same way mm-hmm. so that you can trust that person through the process um, and don't feel like you have to micromanage. Now there definitely are, you know, I'm a part of some surrogate Facebook groups. And so I've heard some stories, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I totally get it. You know, when you're carrying those babies um, for somebody else, I absolutely get um, the thoughts and the concern. And, and that's why I think the match is so important that you're matched with the right person so it can be easier on you and in, on them in the process. Are you um, going to be doing, are you going to be a surrogate again in your lifetime? Well, I, I, this is what I say. I'm 99% sure that I'm not, but I'm open. I didn't think I I would do the third. I didn't think I would do the third one. So after carrying two sets of twins and then the single, um, you know, I've had three C-sections. So um, I have been cleared. My doctor has said I'm okay to do it. Mm -hmm. I'm just open to seeing, and actually the, the last family's considering maybe a sibling journey. So we'll, we'll see what, what happens. So I'm open to it, but I don't think I'll pursue it. Let's put it that way. <laughs> okay. I mean, I would think you would be in high demand. You I, probably I get, don't have to pursue it. I, I, I get pretty, uh, asked pretty often. Yes. Right. 
Okay, wow. So um, when you work, kind of what is something unique that you bring to the table when you work with couples with fertility? Because it seems like you're working kind of on a, you know, on a spiritual level. And talk a little bit about kind of the unique perspective that you bring when you work with couples. Yeah, um, I, I definitely think I bring a unique perspective because being a part of the trying to conceive support community um, since 2010, not going through through my, myself, but being along the journey with families. So, and experiencing all the fertility treatments. So I've been in the world of the fertile and in the world of the infertile. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of like that bridge. So I can be that voice between support systems, between family and friends, helping uh, couples build uh, not just an online support system because so many people are connected through social media, but an everyday life support system and learning how to navigate the triggers in real life and um, the, the family and friends things. But really um, also, I prior to being a fertility support coach, I was a couples coach since 2010. And so I really worked with couples and families through premarital um, birthing dreams, blended families. So really my, my sweet spot are couples and working mm -hmm. with them, especially since we most of the time marry somebody that's complete opposite to us. Um, so navigating the ups and downs with somebody that's different with you. Uh, people grieve differently when they experience a loss. People decide differently when they're going through these big decisions. Um, so you'll find usually a husband and a wife, one will be the emotive, will be more emotional, and one will be more logical. Um, one will look more into the research of the procedures and the things, and one will be more led by what they feel like they should be doing. So really helping couples navigate those big decisions together, deal with the ups and downs together, and really using it to help strengthen their marriage through the process, no matter what the end result might be. Okay, because um, it's hard on marriages, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Well, if you look in just normal everyday life with a divorce rate of 50%, let alone mm -hmm. throw, in, throw in infertility, um, I think the saddest comment uh, message I've ever gotten on Facebook was from a lady that was five days away from delivering her miracle baby. Mm -hmm. And she just messaged me and said, Tiffany, thank you for helping marriages through this process. She said, I got the baby, but I lost my man. And through this process, um, he's now with a new family and I'm about to give birth to our baby. I, I hear that story and or, or people go, yeah, we finally had a baby and then they divorce like a month. I mean, I know there's, it, it's a complicated and, and who knows what happens, but that always shocks me. You're like, wow, that's the most bonding experience. But who, you know, there's so many things that happened prior so to that, that it just, I know that it, it became a an extra stress, I Absolutely. guess. Absolutely. And then you really get to know what your parents, a lot of people go, we have completely different parenting styles and it only becomes evident <laughs> once the baby comes. And that's, yeah. um, yep. that's a whole other set of things. But, uh -huh. um, but, but if you're listening, don't worry about that now, just let's focus <laughs> on the other thing. You'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, you talked about that, about one being one person being more emotional, one person being, you know, more logical and, and conflicts coming up with that. But are, you know, what are some of the things that you feel like really make it difficult for couples in this type of situation and with fertility challenges? 
I think um, expectations, you know, we come into life with certain expectations, come into marriage with certain expectations. We're going to get off birth control and we're going to get pregnant and we're going to have babies, Mm -hmm. you know? So we come in and we have these expectations and then life doesn't meet up with our expectations. And that in itself is a process of navigating because you're almost grieving that, that dream, that life, that expectation to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is something that has to be, has to be navigated is, is really um, navigating unmet expectations because that can grow into sadness and depression and bitterness. Um, and so you have to, you have to deal with that and be able to deal with that well in order to move forward and be healthy. Um, what about when one person feels like they're to blame? They've been diagnosed with something. I mean, a lot of times the spotlight is on women, though more and more we're finding out that sperm sperm quality is a big contributing factor. But women feel like it's on them, whether they have told they have poor quality eggs or whatever the situation is. And so is it kind of that guilt and blame game that kind of shows up as well? Yes, it definitely can be. And I I focus a lot on decision making and unity between the couples Mm -hmm. and that it's um, a we journey. It's not an I journey. It's not I am having a hard time getting pregnant. It's we are having a hard time getting pregnant. So even practically speaking, I help couples really um, talk and we talk um, Mm -hmm. and us talk, not just I talk. Um, Research has shown that couples that actually when they're talking about um, life um, in terms of we and our and us actually show more uh, marriage satisfaction and those that talk more like I and my um, Mm -hmm. are less satisfied and uh, more depressed in in their relationship. So even things like that on uh, refocusing, reframing the journey that it's, you know, in our marriage vows for better or worse in sickness and in health and making decisions together so that whether you fail or succeed together, there's not somebody that you do blame in the process. Absolutely. And and I'm going to be really stereotyping here, but you know, the stereotype of men just want to fix like, what advice do you give to men instead of like, let's fix this? Because um, it's not a simple switch that you switch on or, you know, you can't call a handyman type of situation. So what's the, what's it, what's the advice for the partner, the male partner? Yes. So I think I take that as kind of a two, um, a couple approach, actually. It's finding if the male's um, if his role and if his gifting is finding a fix, then we use that in the process because the, the, the wife and the husband will each have certain roles. They'll each have certain gifts that they can bring to the journey. So it's really being able to figure out what do you bring? What kind of gifts and skills can you bring to the journey to help it? So if you are a fixer, then maybe you'd be a great researcher. So why don't we have you um, research this program and this program or this clinic or this diet um, and then come back and let's discuss it and figure out how that plays a role or if that should play a role in the process. Mm, I like that. That's a much, okay. Instead of just throwing darts at the dartboard, what about this? What about this? And the person's feeling so emotional and overwhelmed and almost just wants to be listened to and kind of held in that 
time instead of like, you know, felt like vomited all over with these solutions or, um, or I just read this bunch of stuff on the internet. I don't even know, you know, I don't even know where I just went down this big rabbit hole and just gathered all this information. I'm just throwing it on you. Um, cause I'm feeling desperate to make this feel better between mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. So let's go. Um, it was, um, help me remember it was the, the top question. Yeah. The top five. To, yeah. The top uh-huh. five questions for couples to ask and answer each other during infertility while trying to conceive. Okay. So, yeah, so there's definitely some things that couples want to come together and decide and ask at each stage. Because as we know, as you're going through the journey, there's going to be some ups, there's going to be downs. Hopefully it's a quick journey for you. Mm-hmm. But um, if it's not, uh, the worst thing you can do and the saddest thing that I hear sometimes is from couples is I wish we would have. Mm. Um, and couples that kind of get stuck in a closed place instead of an open place of being open to however or whatever they're supposed to do on the journey. Sometimes people mm. come in and just kind of get stuck and I would never do that. And that's kind of even when I said, I'm 99% sure that I'm not going to be a surrogate again, but I'm open to it. Um, mm. I think it's important to be open to move forward in what you're supposed to do, but still be open along the way. So um, do you want me to go ahead and start with the five Sure, questions? but but finish that statement. Um, like what, what are some of the things they say, I wish um, we would have mm-hmm. what? So I wish I would have seen a fertility specialist sooner. Um, so, you know, some people don't yeah. even realize that they've been trying for a year and not pregnant, that that's considered infertility if you're under 35. So some people don't even realize, so, or I wish I would have gotten healthy. I wish I would have just gone for it and taken the risk. You know, I wish I would have known then what I know now about um, egg quality when I was younger. I wish I would have frozen my eggs. You know, there's so many things. And of course, hindsight is 2020. 20. Mm-hmm. Um, but and I actually, I've heard, I wish, I wish we would have done IVF or I wish we would have used a surrogate. I wish I would have um, been open to adoption. So all of those things, you know, you know, decades later that they are realizing um, that they weren't open to it at the time, but now they wish they would have. When they feel like they're at the end of, we're at the end of the line or something. They just feel like it's not uh, happening for them, or yes, uh, or um, actually couples who have been childless and now are older. I've heard a lot from couples who are childless and um, just just didn't keep going and and did weren't open to other options and mm-hmm. you know are older um, and are are adjusting to their lifestyle. Okay, so let's go through the, um, the questions. Yeah, so the top five questions to ask and answer for couples who are trying to conceive. So the number one question is to ask what matters most to us. So as a couple, really figure out what matters most to us. Is it most important that we get pregnant or that we could become parents? Is it most important that we don't do fertility tra- treatments and we do it all natural? or, or what, you know, so it's those really those, that kind of your core values, your, your, what matters most to you, because these are the things that are going to drive your decision making process. Um, Those things that you would say, I would never do, or those things that you would say, I would do. So finding out those things you're willing to do, 
to become parents and those things you're not willing to do become parents. Mm, those are important questions. Uh-huh. So that's number one, what matters most to us? Um, number two is what roles and strengths do we both bring to this journey? And I kind of hit on that a little mm -hmm. bit earlier earlier. What roles and strengths do we both bring to that to the journey? Um, most likely they're different because we often marry somebody who's opposite or different from us in a lot of areas. So if one of you are a numbers person, are a researcher, use that, bring that to the journey. Instead of, you know, sometimes I, I hear from from uh, the wives that they feel like they're all alone on the journey. Mm. You know, they're the ones going to the doctor's appointments. They're the ones that are researching, but it, it's a two-way street. And so as, as husbands, as spouses, as partners, um, what role, what can you bring to the journey? What can you offer? What are your gifts? And bring that, you know, we need those things together to really have a clear picture of, of, the ins and the outs and the ups and the downs and not getting um, frustrated in the process that your spouse or your partner isn't dealing or seeing it or moving forward the way you are in your timing. But I love that because by bringing the strengths, then you can define the roles. I mean, because I could see a man going, what exactly? I mean, you know, I mean, they want, your spouse wants to be helpful, but I mm -hmm probably just needs it to find, oh, I can actually do that. Yeah. You know, I understand that part of it. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So, okay. So that was number two. So number three, how will we make decisions? So very important is how do you make decisions as a couple? Because um, normally a lot of times one person kind of drives, mm -hmm. drives the ship. But in something like infertility, such a big decision, such a big part of your life, um, it's important that couples come together, unite and make decisions together. Um, like I said earlier, if it ends up being just one person making the decision, then if it fails, the other one can, it's easy to be blamed in the process because you kind of overtook the situation, you did it your way and you move forward without the agreement of the other, other person. So it's important to, to figure out how do you make decisions? And just something practical is not making decisions in the heat of the moment or right after a failed cycle or right after a negative pregnancy test, um, that you don't make decisions in the heat of the moment or you know, in the depths of a hormonal uh, cycle, but that you make it when you both are able to discuss it, you're in a clear place, you're in a good place emotionally and spiritually, and that you can make decisions in full faith and a full piece of how you're supposed to move forward. Okay, so you set those clear parameters. We don't do it after this. We don't do it after the situation it has to be. Uh, I'm sure with some couples, because like going through IVF, there's so many like hormonal ups and downs and things like that. They might go, great, how are we going to make a decision? Because everything's just so emotional and kind of a lot of upheaval during that time, anxiety and yes. just the whole emotional gamut. But um, then I guess you just kind of have to wait a little bit. Yes. Take yes. a breather. Yes. Allow Absolutely. some space. Yeah. Absolutely. Which is another decision to make, you mm -hmm. know, and sometimes couples make decisions to take a break. 
And so that's, that's definitely a decision that sometimes has to be made or to press forward, you know, is it time to try every IVF? Is it time to try um, a natural route? So there's so many decisions, um, you know, what professional do we use? What, who's on our team? You know, those kind of things, so many decisions. So really identifying how do we make decisions and what do we need to do before we move forward with those decisions? Super important. Okay. That is important. Okay, great. Thank you. Yes. And so number four is who is on our support team? Who is on our support team? Mm -hmm. So as couples, you know, we hear a lot about women being in support, support groups or having support, having friends that they can talk to, but what mm -hmm. about the man? What about the partner? Mm -hmm. um, you know, but really deciding who are we going to invite into our journey? And, and you know, as well as I do that, Infer the world of infertility can be a very lonely place, can be a very quiet place. Uh, so many, I'm big on Instagram, but so many Instagram um, people have anonymous trying to conceive accounts where their names aren't even on it, their pictures aren't even on it, because it can be such a lonely and um, how they can feel is a shameful place. But it's important that you don't do the journey alone, that you're not going through the ups and the downs and, and feeling isolated. So I really teach um, couples and individuals how to build that support, support system. Who do you pick to invite in? Who do you pick to not invite in? You know, you have those people that you just know that it's just not going to be good to have them know what's going on. Um, it's going to cause more stress. You know, and some, some practical tips that I give to couples are, there's two types of people. There's energy producers and there's energy demanders. So you want to pick people in your life that are energy producers. Who are those people that you get off the phone with and you feel better? You know, you feel good after having a conversation with them. They're the people that you could talk to, that you could, even if it was something as simple as saying, you know, I can't talk right now. I'm in a, you know, I'm in a sad place. I just had a negative pregnancy test or whatever. Um, can we talk tomorrow? And they're not offended. Um, because you're not in a place to talk, you know, those people that you don't have to build up, but those people who are open to talking to you about it, to build you up and to not be offended in the process if you need some time. Mm, absolutely. Um, and, and do you give advice, um, you know, like when I go on infertility type forums, I know there's a lot of you know, well-meaning, but sort of annoying, to be honest, relatives who just ask, you know, when are you going to start the family? Or if they know that you're having infertility issues, you know, you just need to relax or have sex more or something. And, and people, I, I see women's responses on there. They're like, you know, I just want to punch my uncle in the face or something. They just get like, are you serious? You think that I haven't thought of that um, type of thing? Like, do you help them sort of navigate those landmines of like holiday get togethers and you know, all those Absolutely. kind of triggering events. Uh, Absolutely. And those can be the worst. And you know, it's really about coming up with your go-to statements. What are my go-to responses, my go-to statements when somebody asks me why I don't have kids or when I'm going to have kids or where mm -hmm. are the kids? So what are your go-to statements and responses that you just have on the tip of your tongue and you can just say to those people who, who bring it up in the boardroom or bring it up in the break room or bring it up um, at church or at a reunion or a holiday. So what can you say? And if you're, if you're a smirky person or a funny person, have it be funny or smirky. You know, if 
you're a faith person, have it be a statement of faith. You know, if you're a person who doesn't want to reveal, then it doesn't have to reveal. But really coming up with for you, what are your go-to responses that you can use and that you can pre-decide going into those situations, what you're going to do and how you're going to handle it instead of being caught off guard. Can you give a couple of examples of one? I know you're saying like it has to kind of fit your personality, but there's some where you're like, I'm just saying this because, you know, I just need that person to yeah. so kind of back off a little bit. Yeah. And if, if yeah. it's somebody who's back, you just want to be done. I, I sometimes just say, you know, just tell them, no, you know, we're, we're happy together. We don't, we don't want kids or we don't need kids or whatever. So it's okay to just kind of close that door. So they never ask you again. Um, mm. Some other statements could be like, you know, when it's right in God's timing or we're standing in faith, would you pray with us and believe with us? Um, mm -hmm. Or, wow, you're so smart. I never thought about that. We're going to try having sex tonight. So just being, you could just be you and in, in, in the process, um, but having those responses that work for you and that, Right. Gosh, you should be a fertility specialist exactly. for that. Brilliant advice. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And sometimes I have, you know, couples do, uh, it sounds silly, but it, it actually can work well is to have a stupid jar. So literally you have a jar or container or something mm. where you just put those stupid comments that people say and you write them down and you put them in this jar. And, and it's something about just writing down, putting them in there. And then it's almost like, I'm going to have mercy for that stupid person. I'm going to have mercy for that stupid mess. Like, mm. and then when you have this stupid comment, you're like, Oh, that's going in the jar. That's going in the jar. Like you see it differently because you almost expect it and you have, have a place to put it instead of having to think about it, think on it, deal with it. It's like, Oh, that's totally going in the stupid jar and you can just let it roll. I mean, honestly, it's weird. I went through a period where like I'd ask young couples, so when are you going to get married? I'm like married or I'm like, who am I suddenly the great aunt, the annoying aunt at the table? Like, why am I asking? It's almost like these small talk type things. Yeah. People, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah so. And the heart and the heart, I think too, if, if you can really get to the heart of what the person is saying, mm -hmm. like you said, it's not about them trying to dog you because you're not. Right. Yeah. It's their heart is wanting to have conversation, wanting mm. to get into your world. Yeah. It seems just a, a normal everyday part of conversation. You meet somebody, what do you do? How many kids do you have? Mm -hmm. You know, it's just a normal societal cultural thing. Um, but the more and more infertility gets out there, the more and more people can get aware that that's it, you know, 12%, 15% of people, couples of, of childbearing age are having a hard time getting pregnant. So it's probably not the best question to have. Mm -hmm. uh, but as a couple trying to conceive, if you can logically take yourself to that place of what was their heart in that and go there instead of how you felt about it, it will help you deal with it better. Um, do you feel like social media has saved the day for a lot of people suffering from infertility and um, do you sometimes feel it's harmful? I mean, outside of seeing like best friends pregnancy and I mean, you know, friends at pregnancy announcements and that could be really triggering, but all these support groups, have they been a saving grace for people? Um, and is there a, a kind of a dark side to it as well? There's absolutely a dark side. I think that, I think the, the more awareness has been amazing. You know, I've been, mm. 
Um, it's definitely helped people, family members, um, have a place to go and to figure things out or to look up. There's so many resources now that, that if, if somebody, a family or friend wants to find out about it, they have no excuse because they can look things up. They can figure out their stuff online. Um, but I think for those going, trying to conceive, th there's so many support groups out there um, now versus what there used to be, but there's still a block. I feel like there's still a block where if you really look at the numbers of people who are going through infertility and those who are willing to invest in their emotional and relational practical parts of it, whether that's through a support system or through a coach, um, the numbers are still very small. So I think we still need to do better in um, giving place to getting help. Um, and I think that's hard because if you're dealing with infertility, you already can feel like you're broken, let alone to feel like you need to go to a support group for people who are dealing with the same thing. Um, but I think the more awareness and the more we normalize it, the more we, I always say, you know, I was a surrogate because I had that gift of pregnancy, but as a business owner, I don't have the gift of let's say finances, or I don't have the gift of um, parenting, or I don't, you know, there's always something in our life that we need help in. Whether that's being pregnant, whether that's being a business person, whether that's being a good friend, whether that's being uh, healthy in our physical life, we were not created to have it all going on and to know exactly what we're supposed to do every step of the way. And so if we can take that stigma that we need to be perfect, that everything needs to work and that we need to know what we're doing all the time, instead of it being normal to get help in the areas we need help in, I think we would come a lot farther, a lot faster. Absolutely. How, if, if you're a friend or a family member listening to this, how do you be, how are you a good support? Like what's the best action to take? Giving a lot of unsolicited advice or <laughs> just uh, kidding. No. <laughs> <laughs> On the do's and don'ts list, I would definitely say no. I think it's important, number one, to be a good listener, to be a good listener. You know, just like the husband who wants to fix, family mm. members and friends feel helpless they want you to have your heart's desires. And so they want to help you in the process. So I think as a family or friend that if we can just ask the simple question, how can I best help you and support you through this process? And then as the person going through infertility, being honest and saying, if, if you could just check in once a month, or, you know, I've had, I've had couples who with their support system after maybe they go through, um, a treatment or they take a pregnancy test. They just tell their support system, if I don't text you, I'm supposed to get the results on this day. If I don't text or call you on this day, that means it was a negative. So they don't have to go through the process of the call, you know, and just letting them know, I'll reach out to you when I can, or feel free to check on me a day or two later um, with a simple text, but it's navigating um, those those simple questions, how can I support you through the process best? And then, and then the person who's trying to conceive, being honest and knowing how they can best be uh, supported and sharing that with them and then just keeping that communication back and forth through it. That's nice, I like that. Um, you know, uh, people who, um, you know, practice a faith and they say, well, if it's in God's 
plan. Um, and then a number of years go by and it's still not happening. I'm sure that, I mean, this is almost another episode of <laughs> keeping mm -hmm. the faith, you mm -hmm. know, um, when things aren't going as planned. I mean, there's a saying, um, we plan, God laughs. I mean, it's so much of life goes differently. And sometimes we find through hardship, oh, wow, there was a bigger plan for me um, that is very painful in, in that process of it. Um, you know, what's, what's something that you can kind of give, um, I guess, support along that when people go, gosh, I thought this was God's plan for me and it's not manifesting that way. Yeah. I think in the faith realm, I think the biggest thing is to really, for you and your faith is to go to God and ask him, what is this about? And just getting a word or something to stand on or a promise or a scripture that can kind of be your battle cry through the process. Um, I think at the end of the day, it comes to a matter of faith, a matter of trust, knowing that even if it doesn't, the path doesn't look like you thought that you trust God through it anyways. And that even if it doesn't end up the way you think it should end up, that God is still good despite, um, you know, if you look at anybody who's, who is, achieve something great, who has gotten their dream, who has um, changed the world in any way, they've gone through a fight. They've gone through a valley. They've gone through a hard spot. And that makes the, the high so much higher. That makes the result and the dream and the birth and the miracle that much sweeter. Um, so I think sometimes it's part of our process. It's part of our path. Um, I don't believe that God causes it, but I believe that God uses it and um, can be with you along the way to help you through that path. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, now, sorry, we we were talking about the five points and were mm -hmm. we at number four? And or, We did. So I'm sorry. Number four, yeah. <laughs> I, That's okay. Number four okay, was, good, thank was you. on support team. Yes. So who was on support team? So that's kind of yes. Where, we, we went off of talking about how do you support your loved ones and those kind of things. So, yes. Yeah. So number five is how do we keep our life balanced through the journey? How do we maintain mm, that's a good balance? one? How, how do we, uh, how do we, <laughs> how do we Tiffany? life satisfaction? And I do a simple exercise with, with clients and it's, it's a life wheel. It's a basic coaching exercise. And you basically take a circle, which represents your life. You divide it in eight slices and you label your top eight areas of life. So that could be marriage, finances, health, uh, fertility, um, hobbies, uh, friends and family. So whatever your top eight areas would be, you would kind of would label those. And then you kind of just write yourself in your life satisfaction. Where I, where, how would I write myself in that area? How do I write my marriage right now? How would I write my, my our finances? Um, fun. How would I write fun? And so I think first having awareness that your life is about, has so much more to it than just the fertility. Because sometimes we can get just so focused on, I'm going to eat a certain way. I'm going to sleep a certain way. I'm going to work to raise the money to do the certain thing, all leading towards the baby, towards the pregnancy. Um, but we can can miss all the other amazing things that are happening in our life, all the other things that we do have going for us. So I think it's important to really become aware of, 
of what you do have in your life, uh, what's going well, what's not going well, and then being intentional to kind of move forward, to have fun, to have other dreams too that you're working towards through the process of building your family as well. Okay, I like that. Um, you're, you seem like such a sweet and kind person. Um, and I think kind of a perfect fit to do this type of work. It's just, you know, just dealing with, I guess, people out there most vulnerable, right? Yes, yes. yes. It's, it's such, um, you know, if you grow up your whole life, just wanting to be a mom, or you, um, you know, always saw yourself as mom, or you just expected it. I mean, that that realization that it's not as easy or as, as you probably know, one in four pregnancies end in loss. So how do you deal with a miscarriage, with a stillbirth? You know, I've worked with, with moms who are still grieving a stillbirth, but still wanting more. So how do you work through that? I mean, it's such a, um, it can be such a lonely and, and a hard place. So it's important for somebody to get it, um, to understand the world and to also offer hope and offer, um, answers on how you can thrive through infertility. And that's what I always try to do. How do we find out more about you? Yes. Simple answer is, as going to tiffanyjoebaker.com. Um, you can be connected to my social media. I have some free resources on there, learn more about me, um, my coaching, and, um, I'd be happy to answer any questions anyone has. Um, thank you so much. And, um, do you, I mean, I'm putting you on the spot here, but leave us with something to think about or something inspirational or something that we just give us a better understanding of our partner, you know, what, whatever is kind of coming from your heart right now. Okay. I would say go for it. That's my, my life motto. And if you're going to do something hard, I would say go for it. So if there's a decision that you need to make, if there's something you need to try, if there's a path you need to take, a program you need to be a part of, I would say go for it. You don't want to live a life of regrets. Um, of course, you want to be led in that direction. You want to be in unity with your spouse, but go for it. Mm, I like that. I mean, they say that when they interview people at the end of their lives, they regret only things that they did not do, right? Because yes. the, you can regret things you did, but you've learned you learn from those mistakes because yes. life is is full of those, and um, more is lost in indecision than what is it? More is lost in is it indecision than no decision, something or, like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, yeah, no. I have a similar quote that the similar quote is: "You can live a life of by design or by default." And so we want to choose to live a life by design, that we are moving forward on a path, on a plan, on a purpose that we have figured out together with our partner and move forward instead of by default and letting things just happen, but really taking ownership of our lives and going for it. I like that. Thank you so much. This is, Thank you, it was Tiffany. just wonderful talking with you. All right. I appreciate it. Bye, Tiffany. Thank you. I'll, okay. I'll, I'll contact you in a couple weeks when this goes live. Perfect. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Fertility Hour. For being one of our loyal listeners, we would like to give you free access to a special report called Restore Your Fertility Naturally. Inside, you'll learn about an eight-step all-natural process that's helped hundreds of couples conceive. This is one of our most popular reports, and you can get free access by going to fertilityhour.com forward slash report. 
Again, that's fertilityhour.com forward slash report. Go there now, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Fertility Hour.